0: The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
1: Father, we thank you for this day. It is the best day of the year. We celebrate your work. Jesus, we praise your name. We ask now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear as we turn to your word. Open it to us. Speak to us. We thank You that You are here with us right now, and we ask that You alone be glorified. We pray for our fellow churches in this area and also around the world. Lord, many have already worshipped You today, and we have just joined in the songs with others. Lord, we thank You for those churches surrounding us. Bless their services. Meet them. Lord, may Your glory be manifest in Charlotte today. In Your name we pray. Amen. You know, have you ever thought about books or movies and how they end? We love for a story to end neatly. We want resolution to the plot and all the characters in there. And if it doesn't happen, we get upset. Or we know that there's a sequel coming and that makes us upset too. But you now we love for things to be kind of wrapped up nicely. Let me give you some examples of Pretty well-known books. Some of these are kids' books. But that's okay. Uh, from Pooh Corner, the way that ends, but wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way, in that enchanted place on the top of the forest, a little boy and his bear will always be playing. That is just such a great ending. You can picture Christopher Robin and Pooh always playing. Uh, maybe you read growing up Little Women. The way it ends is this. Oh. My girls, however long you may live, I can never wish you a greater happiness than this. And if you don't know what that's talking about, you've got to read the book. But that's a great ending to that book. And a little more current, uh, starting to get dated, but the end of the Deathly Hallows, end of the Harry Potter series, the scar had not pained Harry for 19 years. All was well. It's a good ending, We love resolution. We love to know the characters are all good. Mark doesn't do that this morning. Not at all. You heard how that ended, and that's the end of the Gospel of Mark with verse 8. Women running out of an empty tomb, bewildered and screaming and scared to death. The end. Really, Mark? You know, uh, I don't know about you, I've gotten several Easter cards uh, they always have these beautiful pictures on the front. Sometimes they 'll depict you know, the women at the tomb, and it 's three women uh, kneeling serenely, sunlight washing over them. I sometimes wonder if a more accurate Easter card would look something like this. Now <laughs> that's what Mark tells us. The women were scared to death went running away the end. What's Mark doing? Why does he end that way? It's kind of frustrating. It may seem odd, but I actually love what Mark has done. And so this morning I'm going to try and stick to Mark, and we're not going to deviate and look at other Gospels a whole lot. But I want you to consider, even as we begin, that even his ending is one of the reasons I think you can trust what Mark is telling you. Because if you were going to make up the story of the resurrection, No one is going to end with women screaming and hollering and running for their lives. You just don't wrap it up that way. Why in the world did Mark end it that way then? Because he's simply reporting what happened. I think it's one of the reasons you can trust his account. And so this morning, as we go through these short eight verses, we're going to look at how the resurrection impacts our head our feet, and our heart. We'll start with the first one. Mark tells us that the resurrection impacts our head, and the reason it impacts our head is because Mark is saying this is true news. The resurrection is real. It happened. It's true. I won't read it as well as Alan, but hear it again. When the Sabbath was over... sighed, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, you know, today a lot of people might assume, okay, if the resurrection happened, it's probably good news somehow. The problem that a lot of people face today is is it true news though? And that's why I say it impacts our head. Can you believe this? Mark is saying, yes, it is true. And we can fall into the trap of thinking this way in our skepticism. Well, you know, people back then, they were really naive. A long time ago, they were more simple. They were definitely much more superstitious than we are. Way less scientific and definitely much more gullible than we, a sophisticated generation of people. This has been dubbed chronological snobbery, thinking that we are the end-all-be-all generation. We are the smartest, we are the best, we are the brightest. And you know what those poor folk back then, they just, ah. Of course they would believe something like the resurrection. Don't fall into that trap, because Mark and his gospel he makes it clear that no one is expecting the resurrection of Jesus. Get this, even though in Mark's gospel, Jesus has already told them many times over, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And yet, even though they had heard this from Jesus numerous times, no one expected it. You know, most people, if you, if you know your history, your ancient history, most of the pagan world, they thought that when you die, you go out like a candle. You're here, you're not here, you just cease to exist. This, you can see this kind of mentality, not only from writings, but there are tombstones and there are epitaphs, and it's written in both Latin and Greek, and it was pretty prevalent. It went like this. This is an actual tombstone, non-fui, fui, non-sum, non curu, which translates to this. I was not, I was, I am not. I care not. (laughs) Really cheerful thing to put on your tombstone, isn't it? Well, this was actually all over the place, written in Latin and Greek. I didn't exist. I existed. I don't exist. I don't care. You just… you get snuffed out. That's it. Now, some people believed in the pagan world, okay, maybe you don't just cease to exist, but you go to the underworld, and the underworld is this disembodied kind of thing. It's dark, and it's creepy, and you cross the river Styx, and, uh, you know, and it's just, it's the netherworld. And, it, and it's an existence, but it's a weird existence. That's what some people thought. The Jews, you know, but neither the pagans who snuff out or cross no resurrection. And even the Jews, they technically believed in a resurrection, But as many scholars have pointed out, why wouldn't they expect it then? Because the Jews understood a resurrection comes at the end of the age. Meaning they knew the world's messed up. Sin has ruined everything. There's injustice and lawlessness and all kinds of junk in the world. And one day God's going to fix it all and make it right. And that's going to be the most wonderful day ever. And when God ends history at the end of the age, that's when resurrection for all of God's people happens. It's a communal sort of thing, and it's the end of history. Which is why no Jew would expect a one-off individual resurrection in what they would deem the middle of history. Because they would say, well, hey, Rome's still in power. We are still imprisoned in different ways. There's still lawlessness and injustice and all kinds of garbage in the world. Of course, it's not the end of the age. So whether you were full-on pagan or mystical pagan or Jewish, no one in the world of that time is anticipating a one-off resurrection. So don't think, don't take the superiority attitude of, well, they were just really gullible. Mark even tells us no one anticipated this. Look at the women. The women are going to Jesus' tomb because they want to anoint Jesus' body. They know dead people stay dead. They're not going looking for a risen Jesus. He's dead. And not one of the Gospels says anything like this, that the disciples are huddled in a house somewhere kind of saying, isn't it great? You know, he's dead everything's going exactly according to plan, exactly as he told us. None of them said that. And none of them show up before sunrise on Easter Sunday morning and say, okay, let's do the big countdown. Three, two, one, resurrection! They're not doing that. Why not? Because Jesus is dead. Their hopes are dead. All those who follow Jesus, they are disillusioned, dispirited. And and the women going to the tomb that morning, they are in the midst of overwhelming despair. You can see, I mean, you know this just if you read it carefully, because they're going to the tomb and they're so distraught, they don't even think until they're almost there. There's a big boulder there. How are we going to move it? That's, that's people in the midst of despair not being able to think clearly. They were simply wanting to go and honor their dead friend. You see, the early Christians, if they were making all of this up, they certainly would never use women to be the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Why do I say that? And don't be offended. I'm just repeating what history tells us. Because women were too emotional. You couldn't trust them. You can, you can read different authors who very much disparage women. They're hysterical. And so, in the law courts, a woman couldn't even testify, even if she was an eyewitness to something. Because she's a woman. You can't trust her. She's going to have fouled everything up. So... If the early Christians were making up the resurrection, I guarantee you to make it up, they wouldn't use women as the eyewitnesses because that does nothing to help their cause. Why did Mark include these three women as the first eyewitnesses? Because that's the way it happened. He's simply reporting what happened. The women arrive... And I don't have time to get into it, but the young man, he's an angel. The other gospels let us know this. And Mark does too, if you know Greek. Uh, But his white clothes, these aren't just like Clorox white clothes, these are shining white clothes, which is why he has to tell them, don't be alarmed. Angels must love saying that. They say it all the time in the gospels because people freak out. They're there. Don't be scared. (laughs) He tells them, because the women there, they go there and and, um, put yourself in their shoes just for a moment or their sandals they're walking to the tomb. Who's going to open it up for us? Whoa, the stone's rolled away. What has Rome done? Are they just giving one last dig? Have they taken the body? Have grave robbers come and taken him? What is going on here? And they walk in through the antechamber, and then there would have been different grave sites, and this was an unused one, and an angel sitting right here on the right And the way you think of this angel, I would encourage you, is think of him as a messenger or a translator, if you will. And what this angel is doing is helping the women understand what they're seeing and what's going on. That's why he interprets for them You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified, he has risen he is not here, see the place where they laid him. Now this morning, Mark does not take time to give proofs for the resurrection, so I'm not going to either. But that's not a cop-out. Know this, there is plenty of proof for the resurrection. And if you want to say it was anything else, I've got something I can give you that will show you how I, that I think very well summarizes, no, no, no. this really did happen. Mark doesn't give proof, so I'm not going to, even though he, I've kind of pointed out a couple little things here. But know this, there's plenty of rational argument for it. And as one German scholar has said, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody, if you're seriously looking at it and weighing the facts, nobody would ever question it except for two things. One, it's a very unusual event. And second, and this is the bigger one, if you believe it happened, then you have to change the way you live. It does change everything. So the first thing we see in the Gospel of Mark, the resurrection impacts our heads, our logic, our belief. But Mark says it happened. The second thing I want you to see in Mark's Gospel is that it impacts our feet. And by our feet, it's just another way of saying our wills how we decide to do things. I mean, that's related to our minds, but it's our our willingness to act on something. Jesus' resurrection, not only is it true news, it's news meant to be used by Jesus' followers. Now, what I want to do is point out something that often is skipped in resurrection accounts, but I think is critically important. We read, but go tell his disciples, it was just those first two words, but go, third word, tell. This is a command given to these women. You have this piece of information, ladies, now act on it. And what scholars would say is that this command to go and tell the disciples, as Jesus restates it later on in the Great Commission, is we are to tell the good news. This is a universal command of action you could say it this way. You cannot separate the resurrection from God calling us to a task because of it. And so, I'm going to make this brief, but I'm speaking explicitly to anyone here who fully believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you trust Him. I'm talking to you. If you believe it, we must act on it. So, how do we do that? You know, and and, what is it? It's, it's, it's one of the reasons I love the way Mark ends his gospel the way he does. It, it, it kind of stops, and it feels like, well, there should be more. And there were plenty of people who tried to write alternate endings. One will show up in a Bible, but no good scholar believes any of those alternate endings were real. Mark ended where he ended. Why did he leave it like a cliffhanger? Because Mark wants you and I, just as he wanted his initial readers to see, the story doesn't end there, we're written into it. We have a part in this. And the resurrection, part of what it means is that we are to tell the good news to others, but not just that. We'll talk about telling the good news in in several weeks out, but it also means that Christians are able, if the resurrection's front and center of your mind, you know this, this world is not all there is. And because this world is not all there is, you can give your life away in this world just as Jesus did, for His glory, for His kingdom. This is why early Christians, when plague would come into cities, they would take care of the sick and the dying, risking their own lives and nursing and caring for people, and some of whom died themselves. Why would they do such a thing? Because they knew there is more to this life than right here, right now. I have a resurrection, and if I die, I will live. It's also why Jesus' followers throughout the centuries have done things like fight injustice, tackle poverty, address racism, standing up to wickedness wherever it is in the workplace, In the neighborhood, in the realm of politics. It's why Christians throughout the centuries know I may lose big. I may lose face. I may lose resources. I may even lose my life as I stand up for what's right because there is a king and what's happening in this world is not right. But, world, do your worst because even if you kill me, I will live. See, the resurrection in a Christ follower lets us give our lives away just as Jesus did for the glory of his kingdom. I want to encourage you you don't have to be a professional clergy or professional ministry worker for this to be true. Possibly you can even do a better job in your own calling and vocation, wherever you are. You have influence, you have resources. Build his kingdom, share the good news. Do the work of your king, knowing even if the worst happens, I have a resurrection coming. Mark tells us the resurrection impacts our head, it impacts our will, which moves our feet, and finally, and this is the one I'm going to spend the most time on, so don't get too, no, don't get too joyful. It's third point, last point, but it's the longest. Mark also tells us that the resurrection impacts the heart. And that's because Jesus' resurrection is such good news. And there's two ways Mark addresses this. First is, it's so beautiful, but go tell his disciples and Peter. It's beautiful that Peter is specifically called out. If you've been with us in this gospel or you know it on your own, Peter made the boldest claims about his devotion to Jesus and what he would do for him. And he became the greatest failure he denied him. And imagine Peter, who after seeing Jesus dead, a spear thrust into his side, taken off the cross, laid in the tomb, what's going on in Peter's mind? Shame and guilt in wave after wave just washing over him. It'll never be the same. My life will never be the same. My life is over. And Peter specifically is called out. You know, Jesus had every right the message could have been given to the angel. Tell tell the women, there'll be women who'll show up. Tell them this. You lousy deserters. You weak people, I can't believe you. Yeah, we're going to meet again. And I've got some things to tell you. And I'm going to And we're going to get going. There's none of that. What it is, there's love. There's acceptance tell his disciples, and Peter. Peter, the biggest, in the literal sense, loser of them all, becomes one of the greatest examples of God's grace. And why is this such good news? It's because we're all Peter. We are all Peter. Just look around at the people in this room. People are dressed nicely. It's a good-looking crowd this morning. You know what? Everyone in here is a dirty, rotten sinner. (laughs) I know, you may not like it. Uh, It's what God's Word tells us. Everyone in here is a dirty, rotten sinner. Yeah, we, we, we try and hide it, or we try and rationalize it away. But no, you may be sitting by one of these people this morning. Because in here are people who are proud... There are people in here who have been unfaithful in their marriage. There are liars. There's thieves. There's addicts of all kinds. Some are addicted to alcohol. Some are addicted to drugs. Some are addicted to pornography. Some are just addicted to mental fantasies that if you could see them, that person would probably creep out of here under all the chairs or run as fast as they could. You may be seated beside one of the people who's just utterly self-centered and selfish. There are people in here who are manipulators, gossips, backstabbers, those who love coarse language and jokes, those who deny God, who worship everything else under the sun other than God, especially themselves, those who seek their glory above all things. You're a messed up group of people. And, you know, if you're sitting here saying, whoa, this crowd is really messed up. I'm glad I'm not one of them. Well, you too, because now you're guilty of self-righteousness and judgmentalism. You see, the truth and the bad news is everyone's a Peter. Everyone's as guilty as they can be. And let's do this. Look to the person you know on your left or right. If you don't know them, just have fun speaking to a stranger. And repeat this and say it to them. You are far worse than you think you are. Just, just say that. Okay, I, I know. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Okay, just, just stick to the your far. Don't tell them everything you think. Just. This crowd really enjoyed this for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Biggest sinners on the front row here. Burrells? <laughs> it's, it's true. We are far worse than we think we are. And here's the good news of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection doesn't just revoke death, it revokes sin. And Peter, and Dave, and Rick, and Ann, and Bev, and Laura. the good news is for you. And what Mark is doing, I believe, because of the wonky way he ends with kind of a cliffhanger, I already told you, it's because he wants to write our story into it. And here's what that means, is that Jesus' resurrection means your sin does not have to be the end of your story. The Bible says if you die apart from Christ, you die in your sins, and that is the end of your story in a very bad way. But in Jesus Christ, an alternate ending is written. It's such good news. And I know some of you are here this morning, you know how bad it is. And you hide everything from everyone else, even your closest friends and family, and you think if they only knew the truth, I, oh. even you, even you, Your sins were paid for by Jesus on the cross. You see, the cross is not just a symbol. What happened was when Jesus died living a perfect life, your sin, my sin was placed on Him. He died and suffered and bled because the only way to deal with sin is with the shedding of blood. He died in our place, and when He rose from the dead... I don't want to get too technical here, but when the angel says he is risen or some translations he has written, literally it's passive, meaning he has been raised. Meaning Jesus didn't raise himself. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And why is that significant? Because it means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was accepted by God the Father. And when God rose him from the dead, It's proof all has been paid for. It is done. It is accomplished. It's why in Romans 4, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, I know you enjoyed telling the person next to you, you're far worse than you think. Let's say a good word to each other. And just say this, God's grace is for you too. Just repeat that. God's grace is for you too. It is so true. Your sin does not have to be the end of the story, and the resurrection is proof that that is true. Here's the second thing, though. There's a second aspect to the good news And it's this little phrase, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Now, you've heard this before if you've been with us through Mark. And you know, this doesn't mean that Jesus is just going to beat you to Galilee. He's going to get there first, and then you'll find him there. What it means, he is going ahead of you. This is a word used by military commanders, typically, in leading troops into an initiative. Jesus used it, and now he gives it to the angel to share to the women like a shepherd. And I will lead you like a shepherd in Galilee. Now, why is, why, how is this good news? Let, let me explain it this way. Many people have a favorite place on the planet somewhere. It may be a childhood home. It, it may be a, you know, a physical place. Here's one of mine. One of my favorite places in the world is Grand Teton National Park. I love it. I could sit at Jenny Lake all day, Love the hiking there. Love all the activities. But, but it's not just because of the natural beauty. And it, it's incredibly beautiful. Here's why I love Grand Teton National Park. I have memories of that place. First time I went there was with my in-laws. And I know that may sound like a bad thing. It was a wonderful thing. <laughs> I mean, it put so much you know into the emotional bank with in-laws. I had the best time. And, and then I've been back subsequently... And, you know, my girls are there. Somebody told me I should have brought my hat in this morning. And and so I literally, I don't even have to be at Grand Teton National Park. All I have to do is think about it, and all kinds of emotions well up within me because I have all of these experiences and memories of that place. I will go again. This is what Galilee was to the disciples because Galilee is where everything began, Galilee is where good things happen. Galilee is where there's love and joy and faithfulness and warm embraces and fellowship over a drink and laughter together and excitement and hope. That's Galilee. And the point is this. Jesus going ahead of them, I will lead you. Things will be the way they were, but it's going to be even better now. And a return to Galilee is a return to all that is good for the disciples. Galilee here is a subtle reference by Mark to the Garden of Eden, the ultimate place of good. And and this is why this is so great. A physical resurrection demonstrates that our regular life is redeemed. Think about the things you love in this life, food and drink and touch And all this stuff, natural beauty, that's redeemed. That's what we have to look forward to. Not some disembodied existence. Not being snuffed out like a candle. Physical bodies redeemed. All of life redeemed. That's good news. Whatever bad happens in life, I'm going to ask the music ministry team to start working their way up. Whatever bad happens in life, and I know for many people here this morning, you're undergoing painful experiences even today. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, here's what you know in the midst of bad circumstances. You have a resurrection coming. All of our sin wiped away. All evil existing no more. Our loved ones restored to us presently, physically. The injustices and wrongs of humans across this planet wiped away and remade. It's not a dream. It's not wishful, fantastical thinking. It is a promised future for all who are in Christ Jesus. That means to the older person here this morning whose body is wasting away and you are looking at death a whole lot closer than you ever have before, you don't have to fear because in Christ you have a resurrection coming. To the bereft husband or wife whose spouse has left you and you're in the midst of betrayal and feeling alone, you don't have to live like a loser. You have a resurrection coming. To the frightened parents who feel like depression starting to wash over them because their kids are going every which way other than what they hoped for. You don't have to be weighed down by blame. A resurrection is coming for you. To the one out of work, you have a resurrection. To the addict living in the shadows who's scared to admit the truth, you have a resurrection. To the one suffering today, you have a resurrection coming. Whoever you are. Whatever you've done, there is forgiveness to be found in one person, Jesus Christ. And he freely forgives all of the sins of those who follow him. The failures of all of his disciples, even Peter, even you. You see, a physical resurrection of Jesus means the best of life is still yet to come, because resurrection's coming. The story is not over. Your story is not over. Today can be a day that it's rewritten. I've asked the music ministry team just to say, this is a song that's not often done at Easter, but the message is so true of Easter and what we celebrate today. So when is an ending not an ending? It's when a dead man rises from the tomb. Mark's Ending is the way it is, and it implies only the reader can bring closure in a sense. Let me do this very briefly, but I bet there's you're falling to one of four groups of people here today. One, you may be people who woke up this morning saying, This is the best single best day of the year. To you, here's what I say rejoice, celebrate. Don't hold back in any way because it is the best news ever. Rejoice in the one who has saved you and let the truth of the resurrection move your heart and feet and will out to serve Him in so many different ways. You may be here today and sec- the second category is this. You think, ah, I kind of want to believe. I still kind of want to think about it. That's, that's cool. It's fine. I believe Stonebridge is a safe place to wrestle with that, and you can talk to any of the pastors here or people around here, and I encourage you to do that. And here's my challenge to you. Why not, as you're thinking and considering, audit church for the next eight weeks? Just audit it. Come and sit and see and listen and check it out and talk to others about it all. That's why we put this bulletin in your insert. You can see what we're preaching on. You know, I believe in God, but I doubt His love. It's, it's ways we say we believe, and yet our lives show a different story. Come and check that out and see whether you might believe or not. A third category is, you're just hardened. Been there, heard it, yeah, uh, whatever. I'm just here because I was made to come. To you, all I can say is this, you better hope I'm wrong. As I've said, there is great rational reason to believe in the resurrection. If you want resources and you want apologetic stuff, we can give that to you. But don't just write it off without considering the evidence because it's evidence that truly does demand a verdict. You see, Easter, part of what I was alluding to and why we go out and give our lives away like our resurrected King is because part of the Easter message is this, God is bringing history to an end one day, and at that time when the king comes again, he comes in judgment on the world. And that's why I'm saying you better hope I'm wrong. Because one day every person alive will stand before his judgment seat, and it's not based on how good of a person you were. That does nothing. It's whether you believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. And finally, you may be in that fourth category, and you're ready. You're like, I get it, and I want want my story to end differently. I want it rewritten. What do I do? What you do is you take a step of faith. Not a literal step, but you take a step by placing your trust fully in Jesus' hands. And here's how we're going to do this this morning. We lost a great Christian leader this year, the Reverend Billy Graham. We're going to use the prayer that's on the Billy Graham Evangelistic website on how you take that step of faith and give your life to Christ. It'll show up right here. And here's what I'm going to ask everyone to do. Whether you've prayed this prayer before, whether you've prayed it a hundred times, whether you're praying it for the first time, let's all say it together. Here's the difference, though. If you say, maybe you've even said it before and you didn't mean it, if today you mean it, that's what makes all the difference. You see, becoming a Christian is a very simple thing, and this is part of it. So let's, let's say this prayer together, everyone. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask for Your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is Your Son. I believe that He died for my sin and that You raised Him to life. I want to trust Him as my Savior and follow Him as Lord from this day forward guide my life, and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here and you prayed that for the first time and meant it, welcome to the family. Welcome to a whole new life and a story that will have a very different ending. I encourage you, if you prayed that and meant it for the first time, tell someone today. Billy Graham used to always encourage people, once you put your faith in Christ, find a church because it's in community that makes a difference. We're here. If you want to go to another community, we encourage that too, but be part of a community somewhere. We're not about building Stonebridge. We're about pointing people to the one name and the planet where there is salvation. Follow Him. We're going to end today just in worship. We're going to sing just one more song together, celebrating the wonder of the resurrection and the sacrifice of our Lord. Let's do that.